Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of plan investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. History of Persia is a Hopful Media podcast production. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp Therapy Online. Life doesn't come with a user manual, so when life stops working for you, it's pretty normal to feel stuck. Imagine somebody who spent, oh, say, 25 years being really distracted, overwhelmed by clutter, and fluctuating between being really into obscure ancient history and not being able to find the motivation to do the dishes. That person is me, And apparently, if there were a user manual to life, it might have told me that I have ADHD and should talk to my doctor about that. Therapists are about as close to a manual as we can get. Folks who are trained to help you figure out challenging emotions and learn coping skills. 
BetterHelp has connected millions of people with licensed, registered therapists for convenient and secure online therapy. It's convenient and 100% accessible online. No waiting rooms, no traffic, and not even endless googling of therapist near me. You just fill out a questionnaire and get matched with an appropriate therapist. And if it doesn't click, BetterHelp makes it easy to switch providers. Everyone deserves to feel their best, so get unstuck with BetterHelp. Learn more and save 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com persia. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash persia. Hello, everybody. This is Trevor Cully, and welcome to the History of Persia, episode 17, The Mad King. Last time, I talked about the Persian invasion of Egypt under Cambyses. The expedition set out in 525 BCE, and over the course of the next two years, Cambyses' armies conquered Egypt, received tribute from northern Libya, pushed the southern boundary of their new territory south into Nubia, and put down a revolt back in Egypt. By 522, Cambyses decided that Egypt was sufficiently subjugated to leave with a satrap and other subordinates in charge, and started making his way back to Mesopotamia and Persia. This episode will be the first of two that rewind the clock back to 525 and earlier to discuss a couple of topics that I skipped over last time so that I could squeeze in all of the narrative events. In this case, I'm talking about the madness of Cambyses. Last time, I intentionally talked about Cambyses in almost glowing terms, at least in comparison to the traditional view of things because the traditional view of things has been seriously questioned by modern historians, and Cambyses has some of the worst historical press of any ancient figure. While Cyrus the Great has been remembered since antiquity as an enlightened ruler, a messiah to the Jews, and conqueror the likes of which the world has rarely seen, his son is generally remembered as a half-mad, erratic despot who partook in all the worst parts of incest, brutality, and fratricide. It was actually really difficult to talk about the conquest of Egypt and the surrounding events without getting into this stuff because of how pervasive it is in the narrative as presented by our sources. And it was actually hard to write this episode without jumping too far ahead in the story, but if I covered the events after Cambyses left Egypt before I got to this, I think there would just be too many threads to keep track of. So, with all of that in mind, let's talk about the madness of Cambyses. Like anything else I seem to end up talking about, something about the timeline just doesn't add up here. The vast majority of Cambyses' apparent psychotic break stems from Herodotus, with later Hellenistic and Roman sources repeating his stories. However, there is one story covered in different ways by other sources, the death of Bardia. I left Bardia, the younger son of Cyrus and brother of Cambyses, back in episode 14, going off to rule his own semi-independent kingdom in Bactria in Central Asia, where it seems he remained for most of his brother's tenure as the king of kings. But Herodotus actually reports that Bardia, who he calls Smyrdis, accompanied the Persian invasion of Egypt. That in itself is not strange. No matter which interpretation of their inheritance you go with, it makes sense that Bardia still supported his brother's military efforts, 
and would have commanded his own contingent in the invasion force. That lasted, according to Herodotus, until the invasion of Nubia. Prior to invading, the Persians sent an emissary south to demand tribute without bloodshed. Of course, the Nubian king didn't take that offer, but he additionally challenged Cambyses, sending a longbow back as a quote-unquote gift to the Persians, stating that Cambyses should not even consider invading unless he could successfully draw the bow. Try as he might, the King of Kings could not pull the bowstring back, but his brother could. Angered and embarrassed, Cambyses sent Bardia back to Persia and invaded anyway. And for his hubris invading anyway, Cambyses' army was slaughtered. Once again, this is just according to Herodotus. As I talked about last time, the political situation with Nubia in reality doesn't seem to reflect that version of events. The conflict between Cambyses and Bardia doesn't end there, though. Herodotus goes on to describe a vision that came to Cambyses where he saw Bardia enthroned with his head in the sky, a vision of Bardia as king. Already driven to paranoia by events in Egypt, the great king orders his friend Prexaspes to return to Persia as well and assassinate his brother. If that version of Bardia being killed doesn't suit your tastes, Herodotus goes on to provide two alternatives. In one, Bardia is thrown into the Red Sea on his way out of Egypt and drowns. In another, Cambyses goes hunting with his brother in between campaigns in Egypt and kills him in a staged accident. The point being, Cambyses perceived his brother as a threat, grew paranoid and mad, and then killed him either in or from Egypt. However, two other versions of the story circulated in the ancient world. The later version was written by Ctesias, as he heard it during his time in Persia. In this version, a magi named Svendadates was whipped on Bardia's orders and fled to the court of Cambyses before he departed for Egypt. Magi sometimes refers to a specific Median tribe or to a type of Iranian priest. It's often impossible to tell which is being referred to, including during this story. Once there, the magi began accusing Bardia of plotting against his brother. Cambyses called for his brother to come and answer for himself but Bardia gave an excuse not to show up twice, and the Magi just got bolder and bolder and more caustic with his accusations. This continued until Bardia was finally able to come in response to a third summons. Unfortunately for the younger brother, Cambyses had already plotted to kill him. Conveniently for the conspirators, Sventadates happens to look a lot like Bardia in this story, so Cambyses publicly ordered the Magi's execution but in reality had his own brother put to death and covered his tracks by having the Magi take his brother's place. There is a third and final version of this story, this time from one of our rare Persian sources, but arguably the most famous one of those, the Behistun inscription of King Darius. It's only a brief section of the inscription, so I'll read part of it here. Quote, King Darius says, The following is what was done by me after I became king. A son of Cyrus, named Cambyses, one of our dynasty, was king before me. That Cambyses had a brother, Bardia by name, of the same mother and the same father as Cambyses. Afterwards, Cambyses slew this Bardia. When Cambyses slew Bardia, it was not known unto the people that Bardia was slain. Thereupon, Cambyses went to Egypt. When Cambyses had departed into Egypt, the people became hostile, and the lie multiplied in the land, even in Persia and Media, and in the other provinces. 
King Darius says, Afterwards, there was a certain man, a Magush, Galmata by name, who raised a rebellion in Paishiavada, in a mountain called Arakadris. On the fourteenth day of the month of Vyaksana did he rebel. He lied to the people, saying, I am Bardia, the son of Cyrus, the brother of Cambyses. End quote. In this version, Cambyses' motivation for fratricide is not provided, only the timeline placing it before Egypt. Unlike Theseus's version, the Magi, called Galmata here, is not part of Cambyses' plan, only claiming the deceased prince's identity in a later act of rebellion. I'll have a lot more to say about Bardia, Galmata, and how all the pieces fit together in an upcoming episode, but the important detail is that all of these stories of Cambyses' brutality in Egypt are against a backdrop of fratricide. Fratricide, I should mention, which is questioned and doubted by modern historians, due partly to its convenience for Darius, and partly because the story of being replaced by a look-alike is almost too absurd to believe. Now, the rest of the events that fit into the story of Cambyses' descent into madness come from Herodotus, with the first in his timeline being violence against the mummy of Pharaoh Amos II. I discussed this last time, he had the corpse exhumed, stabbed, and burned in retribution against the deceased pharaoh. Retribution for what exactly isn't stated. It could be interpreted as for the slights against Cambyses in Herodotus's narrative, or as a kind of post-mortem defeat of the pharaoh who had been in power when Cambyses launched his invasion. Either is sort of bizarre and a blatant insult to Egyptian beliefs about burial and the afterlife. The next two events that reflect poorly on Cambyses are more of bad omens and poor judgment than actual madness. Despite failing to draw the bow, Cambyses invaded Nubia and his army was destroyed, and within the same passage, another Persian army is lost to the desert while trying to capture an oasis dedicated to Amun, who the Greeks equated with Zeus, their king of the gods. Neither were particularly good signs for Cambyses. I should say now, in fairness to both Cambyses and Herodotus, up to this point in the historian's narrative, Cambyses has been depicted as fairly balanced. Sure, he had a bizarre incident with Amos's mummy, and was arrogant enough to invade Nubia despite the warnings, but he also showed mercy to Samtik III and his mother after the conquest of Egypt, and attempted to do the same for Samtik's son, and he did successfully conquer Egypt after all. It's a fairly balanced portrait as far as Herodotus goes. The tone of events changes in Herodotus's story after Cambyses returns to Memphis from his southward campaign. The Greek historian has him arriving in the midst of a festival celebrating the god Apis, represented in Egyptian tradition by a bull. And not just in the art, there was a live, sacred bull that stood in for the god. In life it was pampered at the temple and celebrated at festivals, and in death, the animal received full mummification and a burial in a sacred tomb at Memphis. And Apis wasn't just one god among many, but one of the favorite and most popular with the Egyptian people. Cambyses, who we know traveled with at least one Egyptian advisor, must have known about the importance of Apis, which is why the next story Herodotus tells comes kind of out of nowhere. Cambyses interpreted the celebrations for Apis as the Egyptians celebrating his own recent defeat and lost it. The governors of Memphis and the common revelers were killed, the priests of Apis were beaten, and Cambyses himself stabbed the sacred bull to death, 
and a mockery of Egyptian religion. According to Herodotus's Egyptian informants, it was then that the king of kings was struck with madness by angry gods. There's just one small problem with that story. We have a bit of the Egyptian version from the tomb of the Apis bulls, and it doesn't line up at all. The bulls were so sacred that the Egyptian priests kept records of their deaths. And I routinely wish that I knew more languages. Even right in the middle of the U.S., I run into Spanish speakers all the time, and my social media always has a little Persian, Arabic, some Dutch and German. Rosetta Stone does help. It's the most trusted language learning program after all. It's also conveniently available on desktop or on the go as an app and has some really cool features that truly immerse you in the language you're learning. Just the first steps, like learning a new alphabet and some simple phrases, helped open new doors, and Rosetta Stone is a great choice as the trusted expert in this for 30 years and millions of users with 25 languages available to learn. They focus on fast language acquisition, without English translations to help you learn, speak, listen, and think in your new language while building long-term retention. Their true accent speech recognition also gives feedback on pronunciation, which can be really important for languages like Persian, where how you say something is very important. And on top of being available for desktop and mobile, you have the option to download lessons and take them offline. This is also all available at a steal. You can get lifetime membership, all 25 languages, for 50% off. Don't put off learning that new language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, History of Persia listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com today, today. The ceremony to inaugurate their replacements and archaeologists have actually uncovered the stone tablet documenting the death of the bull from Cambyses' reign. The Apis bull alive when Cambyses came to Egypt did indeed die during his reign, but in the Egyptian tablet, Cambyses is depicted serving the traditional roles of pharaoh in the funeral and inauguration of a new bull, which seems to have outlived the Persian pharaoh. No paranoid insane stabbing fits to be found, calling the whole incident from Herodotus into question because Cambyses not only did not kill the bull, but actually partook in the proper ceremonies to replace it. Proceeding from there, though, Herodotus tells the stories of Bardia's death before moving on to Cambyses killing one of his sisters, too. The specific sister in Herodotus is not named, but compared to Theseus's account, this would be Roxane. Of course, there are two stories given, but the basic message is the same. In the first, for some reason, Cambyses and Roxane are watching a dog and a lion cub fight. The lion got the upper hand at first, but then a second dog from the same litter broke its leash and helped his brother overcome the lion. Roxane cried watching this and confessed to her brother slash husband that she was crying because the dog aided his brother, but Cambyses had murdered theirs. For that comment, she was executed. In the second version, the royal sibling couple are eating together, and Roxane strips all of the leaves from some lettuce and asks Cambyses if he likes the stem better with or without the leaves. Of course, Cambyses, like any reasonable person, says it was better with the leaves, but Roxane responds by saying, 
Nevertheless, you once produced the likeness of this lettuce when you stripped the house of Cyrus Bear, once again referring to Bardia's death. Enraged by that accusation, Cambyses kicked his pregnant sister-wife and their unborn child to death. As a literary convention, these events are deliberately very gruesome because Herodotus is trying to set the stage for Cambyses' continued insanity going forward. Theseus tells a version of events where Roxana gives birth to a headless baby in a miscarriage, which is interpreted as an omen that Cambyses will produce no heirs as a punishment for Bardia's death. But in this version, Roxane's death is not Cambyses' personal fault. From there, things go downhill for everybody around the great king. Herodotus has Cambyses question his friend and advisor, Prixaspes, who arranged Bardia's death, about what his Persian courtiers are saying behind his back. Prixaspes told the king that they were very complimentary, but they did accuse Cambyses of drinking too much wine. Enraged, Cambyses tests his sobriety by shooting an arrow at Prixaspes' own son. The arrow met its mark, killing Prixaspes' son and forcing Prixaspes himself to laud his murderous king as a better marksman than a deity. Despite this supposed proof that he wasn't succumbing to alcoholism, the increasingly unstable king had a dozen Persian nobles buried alive anyway. Croesus, the former king of Lydia turned advisor to the Persian kings, is somehow still alive and traveling with Cambyses in Egypt, never mind that he would have been at least in his mid-70s at this point. The Lydian chose this moment to criticize Cambyses' actions to the king's face. Why in the world he would do that, I have no idea. The king tried to shoot another arrow at Croesus, who got up and ran out of the hall. The attendants ordered to capture and kill the old man, did capture him, but did not kill him, hoping that Cambyses might change his mind later and they would be rewarded. Cambyses did indeed change his mind and was happy to get Croesus back, but had the two guards put to death for disobeying orders. Going forward, Herodotus describes how Cambyses desecrated Egyptian tombs, mocked their gods, vandalized their temples. Later writers, and the little bit of archaeological evidence that we do have, tied those descriptions in with the events of Samtik III's revolt against Cambyses and its suppression. Temples serving as a base for organized revolt were destroyed. Basically, Cambyses was losing his grip on reality. He became paranoid and violent. He intentionally insulted and desecrated a culture that he was trying to incorporate as a new major province of the empire. He also killed Persian nobles on a whim multiple times. Naturally, none of that sat well with the nobility back home in Persia, and as a consequence of this, a revolt broke out, with forces in Persia trying to overthrow Cambyses. And that's just one version of events as told by Herodotus. Just for some added chaos, one fragment of Theseus also provides this short story. Quote, Cambyses made a sacrifice, and no blood flowed from the victims he had slaughtered, and he was despondent. Roxane bore him a child with no head, and he was more despondent still, and the Magi told him the meaning of these omens, namely that he would have no heirs to his kingdom, and his mother appeared to him in the night, threatening him because of his terrible crime, and he was even more despondent." End quote. Always a bit pulpier, Theseus provides a more horror-movie adaptation of things, complete with animal sacrifice, headless babies, and a ghost. 
The overall message is the same, though. Cambyses killed Bardia, and everything fell apart from there. Now, with all of those stories told, what is going on? Last time, I told the story of a relatively successful king and conqueror who seized Egypt, accepted tribute from anyone willing, and pushed the Egyptian border south by a cataract or two. This time, the same guy is an absolute lunatic murdering and debauching his way up and down the Nile in a discussion of the same time frame. The simplest explanation is that a large amount of the historical slander against Cambyses II was fabricated after the king's death in a combination of Egyptian resistance to Persian rule, Darius trying to justify his own coup, Greek prejudices against the Persians in Herodotus's time, and some good old-fashioned storytelling leading to exaggerations that enhanced the story as it was told over and over again. Every party I just mentioned had a viable reason for dragging Cambyses through the mud. The Egyptians spent most of their domination trying to find ways and motivation to throw off the Persian yoke, and demonizing their conqueror could assist them in that. For Darius to be legitimate, it had to be clear that he did not assassinate Bardia, but an imposter, and so the story had to be that Bardia was already dead, otherwise people would have started looking for the real heir to the throne. For the Greeks, Cambyses was the first viable target. Nobody, even after the Greek wars with Persia, could doubt that the wildly successful Cyrus deserved to be called the Great. But after those wars, Greeks looked for any evidence to characterize the Persians as despots and enemies. Herodotus in particular claims to have drawn a lot of information from Egypt, and thus would have been influenced by some sensational and partisan Egyptian claims. Meanwhile, Theseus lived in the Achaemenid court and had to toe the party line as established by Darius. Of course, it seems only too plausible that Cambyses did orchestrate some spectacular violence. Sacking cities and burning rebellious temples was par for the course with ancient kings, and wouldn't set Cambyses too far apart from his father and his generals during their conquests especially the brutal suppression of Ionia that Herodotus was not only very familiar with, but explained in detail in his histories. I even used those stories to talk about the conquest of Ionia back in episode 6. Paranoia and purging the nobility, while less common, are still not unique to Cambyses in history. Hundreds or thousands of dictators have tried to strengthen their positions by removing other powerful men from across human history. But there are also events contradicted by our evidence, like the invasion of Nubia or the death of the Apis Bull, where additional sources contradict Herodotus's narrative, and by the final stage of the story, Cambyses is a picture-perfect literary device. Especially in Herodotus, the story of Cambyses could be used as a diagram for a tragic fall from grace. He starts off just, fair, and successful, but has some flawed tendencies. Eventually, those flaws lead him to a decision that backfires, and as a result, his worst aspects flourish until his own actions ultimately bring about his downfall. In this case, that is both rebellion and his death. According to the Behistun inscription, a usurper claimed the throne, challenging Cambyses, on the 11th of March, 522 BCE. Herodotus says that Cambyses was in Syria, at the city of Agbadana, when he heard the news, not to be confused with the Median capital Ecbatana. And if Cambyses really did kill his younger brother, he was probably shocked to hear who was leading the revolt, because according to the usurper himself, he was Bardia, 
the younger son of Cyrus the Great and legitimate ruler given Cambyses' behavior. How that could possibly make sense, and why the official story was that this was actually an imposter pretending to be Bardia, are the basis for one of history's greatest conspiracies. But that story will have to wait. For now, it's time to wrap up with Cambyses. Given everything I've described so far, from various cruelties and murders to the apparent conflict for the throne, you'd be forgiven if you thought Cambyses was going to die violently. Instead, all of our sources are surprisingly unanimous in his cause of death. Darius's Behistun inscription just says that the second Persian king of kings died of natural causes. Herodotus and Theseus both attribute it to an accidental cut on the king's leg becoming infected. For Herodotus, it was a knife poking through its scabbard as the king mounted his horse in Agbadana. For Theseus, the king was carving a piece of wood when his knife slipped in Babylon. In either case, the outcome was the same. The wound festered and killed the great king before he could ever try to reclaim his throne, and it was left to future kings and foreign authors to tell his story. Cambyses II had been the king of kings, Kashayathia Kashayathiyanam, for just eight years, and the pharaoh of Egypt for three. His reputation is, and probably will always be, extremely mixed. Marred by tales of familicide, irreverence, and brutality, he was still the king who conquered both Egypt and the sea, and led the Persians through their second major period of expansion. Whatever the real story was, I'm sure we'll never know. It's too deeply intertwined with the conspiracy of Darius and later tales to ever get at the truth. But that conspiracy will have to wait a couple of episodes. Next time, we'll go back again to one of the few events in the Persian Empire ancient sources tell us about independent of the king. That's the story of Polycrates, the tyrant of Samos, and what was happening in and around the satrapies of Anatolia during the reign of Cambyses. Until then, if you want more information about the show, useful links, my bibliography, maps to reference, or the family tree of the Persian kings, you can check out my website at historyofpersiapodcast.wordpress.com. And if you want to get in touch with me, there are a whole bunch of ways to do it. You can find me on social media. On Facebook, I'm the History of Persia Podcast. On Instagram, I'm just History of Persia Podcast, no spaces. And on Twitter, I'm just at History of Persia. You can also contact me with the contact page on the website or send an email to historyofpersiapodcast at gmail.com. If you want to help the show grow, please share it around on social media and tell your friends about it. Word of mouth is the greatest way to help podcasts get out there. You can also leave a review on iTunes or your podcast service of choice and let people know what you think of the show, especially if you're enjoying it so far or you're looking forward to whatever comes next. Until next time, thank you all so much for listening to The History of Persia.
Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line. Prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. 